Lord is sheer beauty. It's a shepherd boy who encountered Jehovah. Sitting out in a pasture, strumming a guitar. And he had an encounter with God. How many of you have ever encountered God? How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the beauty of Jehovah? The beauty of Jesus. I've had many encounters with that beauty. Nine years old, 21 years old. But I remember when I was 22, I'd been trying to walk a journey with Jesus for 18 months. I was battling, trying, trying to, to beat alcohol and abuse, abuse of alcohol. Going down to an altar. And I remember the Holy Spirit coming on me, filling me. And you know what it was? It, the, the, encountering the beauty of Jesus. It's all I could think about. Jesus. It wasn't about what he could do for me. It, was, it wasn't about what I needed. It wasn't about what I could become. It wasn't. It's just Jesus. And I remember that night they, they sang the song. It was just repeating the, the, the name Jesus. Jesus. And it would say, your, your name is like honey on my lips. There was a deep reality of that, the truth of that. It was just abounding in me. The beauty of the Lord. And that changed me. It transformed me. That I, I can never be, after experiencing, like Isaiah, remember when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe. He saw the beauty of the Lord, the splendor of the Lord, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. He saw this glorious king he saw the beauty of Jesus, and he said, Woe am I, for I'm a man who is undone. I'm a man with unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But in that moment, God changed him, God transformed him, God called him. It's about encountering Jesus. How many of you have encountered Jesus? How many of you remember the joy of that moment? the joy of your salvation. How many of you would be honest and say, you know what, I've, that, that slipped a little bit? The joy of my salvation, the joy of really knowing Jesus, it slipped. I believe God wants to bring it back. Amen. We're going to talk about that here in, few, in just a few minutes. God wants to bring it back. Well, let's, let's stand together. I want to read this passage, Isaiah 12. I'd like for us to read this together as we stand and just honor God's word. We did that when I was a kid every Sunday. I don't think it's all that bad. God said he's exalted his word. This is what he said in the Psalms. I've exalted my word above my name. He's exalted his word. The word of God. My, my associate pastor growing up, his name was Stephen Prescott. He was from Ghana, and he used to, when, when he would preach, he would remind us as a church, 
He would say, the Lord stopped me as I was going to my car after church on Sunday. He would say this every time before he would preach. The Lord, we call, his name was Stephen Prescott. We called him Praise God Prescott. Because he would get up and he'd say, Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! He'd say it 20 times. And so we called him Praise God Prescott. But he said, the Lord stopped me as I was going to my car. And he reminded me that the most important thing that we do when we gather is get into his word. He would say that every time he preached. Psalm 12. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For y'all, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy... You will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention of his name. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. For he has done excellent things. This know that, know in all the earth. Cry out. And shout, and I think the ESV says, with joy or for joy. Cry out and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst. Jehovah. Jesus, he's in our midst. Because of that, we ought to have great joy. And we sing these carols all the time, joy to the world. It's the theme. How, how many miserable people are singing that song as they're driving down the road? Think about it, burdened, worried, angry, bitter, whatever. And singing the song, it makes them feel good. There's some nostalgia. I think that's a lot of what American commercial Christmas is really a lot of nostalgia. Something about remembering where we came from growing up, life as a child, something about it that makes us feel good, probably gets those dopamines or whatever it is in us going. But do we have real joy? Do we have deep satisfaction? Because Jehovah is with us. Because Jesus is at the center of all that we're doing. Because he's our, the focus of our life. I want to talk to you about that over the next few days. Uh, the next few Sundays, we're going to talk about the joy of Jesus. That's really what it's about. We need the joy of Jesus. I'm going to talk to you today about the joy of our salvation. You can, you can be seated. I plan to talk to us over the next couple weeks about next, next Sunday, the hope of eternity. And the following Sunday, the peace of God. He's, we talk about this a lot in the Christmas season. Joy, hope, and peace, right? Those are themes. Those are the, the, the big words on the, the Christmas cards, right? You probably got it hanging on your Christmas tree somewhere, some kind of ornament, some kind of decoration that says joy, right? But I, I want us to truly have a, a meaning of what that means, and I want us to grow in that. I want us to have a deep satisfaction in our walk with Jesus. I want us to have a hope. I want us to have the, the, the true peace of God. So we're going to talk about it. So. Uh, I just I, I want to relate this story. I, uh, this was probably I think it was last Sunday, 
How many of you have heard kids just say funny stuff? So I was, I was having this, this conversation with, um, um, with, with the Ellis' son. And uh, he's, I think he's three. Four. He's four. And he, he's a twin. And we were having this conversation. I asked him what he wanted to be when he grows up. He said he wanted to be a fireman. I said, oh, cool. That's cool. He said, what do you, I said, what do you think your sister's going to be? He said, she's going to drive the ambulance. <laughs> I said, what about Liam? That's his older brother. Is he five, six? Six years old. And he said, he's going to be a, a police officer. All right, cool. I said, what about Jensen? That's my son, 13. And, and they, they, my kids like Jensen. Or, or their, their kids, the eldest kids like Jensen, my, my 13-year-old son. I think because he gives them piggyback rides and stuff. I said, what about Jensen? And he said, He's going to be, and he, this big Cheshire cat smile, said he's going to be the one that starts the fires. <laughs> oh, man, I thought that was good. <laughs> that's, and to me, that's, to me, that's the big joy of Christmas, kids. Like, as a parent, when you become a dad, Maurice, uh, his, his son, MJ, turned one yesterday, and I've been working with, Maurice has been helping us out on this project we're doing in the kids' ministry, and he's got this beautiful one-year-old child. He's talking about how, how fast he's growing up and how his perspective as a young man, what are you, 21, Maurice? 21-year-old young man. He's got this beautiful one-year-old son. He was talking about how his perspective in life changed, and it, it does. When you become a dad, a parent, it changes everything, right? And, and one thing that shifted to me is that I began to understand what Jesus says, it's better to give than it is to receive. Like that began as a father, that really be, that that truth really began to set in. Just the joy of giving, giving to your wife, giving to your kids. Uh, I mean, how many of you remember that? So I, I have nieces and nephews. They were spoiled brats. I just got to say that they were spoiled brats. They would open like sixty presents, and then they would say, "That's all. We're out. What's up with that?" You know, no, they're good. I love my nieces and nephews. Great, great kids. But how, how many remember the joy, the ecstasy? I, I remember I was an expert gift snooper. Like, I could peel the paperback, the, the tape, make it look like nothing happened. See, I discovered I was getting a Nintendo long before I ever opened the box. How many of you remember that joy, right? But that doesn't even begin to compare to the joy of watching your kids open presents. The joy of having some extra money to be able to buy some good stuff for your kids. Take them shop, whatever it is, but just to give to your kids. I mean, that, that's where the real joy, the real beauty of Christmas is, it, I think. So, but let, 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 me, let me start with this thought. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. How many of you have ever had the December 26th Christmas hangovers? Like deep depression sets in because it's all, and it usually, I mean, when, for me as a kid, that usually started about 10 o'clock after I'd played, 10 o'clock at night on December 25th, after I played with everything, I'd already broken half of the stuff I'd gotten, and then depression starts setting in because Christmas is over, right? So that, that is, I think, a perfect picture that illustrates to us what the difference between happiness and joy is. The presents will make you happy for a minute. Gifts, things, circumstances, situations can give us happiness that's momentary, but joy is greater than that. Happy is, happiness is based on what happens to us, but joy is based on what has happened in us. It's deeper. There's a deeper reality. Joy 
true joy and true satisfaction that can only come from knowing Jesus can't be taken from us. That's why Philippians, hey, y'all remember Philippians? Anybody remember Philippians? I think we, I think we hit that about 20, 28 times this year. Philippians is known as the book of joy, and it was written by men in prison. You think about that. And, and it illustrates to us that, that joy is, is not a matter of our circumstances, the situation of life. It is a matter of what has happened deep on the inside of us. You're, and, and, and I think that's why James, he was able to write, my brethren, count it all joy when, when you fall into various trials. Like how many of you are excited when trials come? How, how many of you get excited when it gets tough to pay the bills? How many, how, many, like, how many of you are happy like when there's no money in the bank? When you get laid off? When there's conflict in relationship? There's not a whole lot of happiness, but, but we can still have joy. We can count it all joy. We can reckon joy even when things aren't going very well. And I come back to this. I probably already know of, I've used this like 12 times this verse this year, but I just love it. It's, it's a beautiful picture of this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. He says, moreover, brethren, I, I want you to take notice Make it known to you the, the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Philippi was one of those churches. He said, I want you to take notice the grace of God in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, there's affliction, there's trouble, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. That word there is, and we're going to come to this in another passage, in an Old Testament passage in just a minute, that, that word there, free will, freely willing, is generous. They were generous. They were in deep poverty, they didn't have a lot of money. They were in a great trial of affliction, tough times. But look what it says. It says that the abundance of their joy abounded to the riches of their liberality. They gave, even though they were poor people, going through hard times, they still had a willing spirit. They freely gave because of joy. Joy. Deep satisfaction. Joy is a determination. Joy is a set purpose. It's a focus. It's, it's, it's being set and determined. Unmovable. That's joy. I, I want to show you this. In, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says... God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How many of you have figured out that the pleasures of this world are temporal? They vanish. How many of you have had money and been broke right after that? Right? How many of you have been on the mountain of ecstasy only to crash to the valley of depression? Right? 
All of the pleasures of this life are temporal. But at the right hand of God, there is everlasting satisfaction, pleasure forevermore. Right? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. But look at how this, this verse starts. You will show me the path of life. He will set you towards purpose. He will direct you, right? There's, there's direction that leads to Jesus, that brings joy, that gives, gives us access to these pleasures that are everlasting. Let's, let's, I, I want to read this, this, a portion of this psalm, not the entire psalm, the 16th psalm, just to give us a little bit of context. In Psalm chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. See, th- these are indicators here. You- you're my portion. Jesus is my portion. You maintain my, Jesus maintains my lot. You- you're my set purpose. You're my, you're my focus. You-, you have determined things for me, and, and I'm going to live in that, and I'm going to choose that. We're going to see that in just a minute. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And then he says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord, I have set, you see that? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So this is what I'm talking about. Set determination, like set focus. This, this is where true joy comes from. He says, I've set the Lord always before me and it's from this, this is where joy and satisfaction comes from. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are, Are you seeing this? Let's look back at verse 5. He says, I will bless the Lord. There's a determination. It's the same determination we see in the 103rd Psalms. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. There's some determination right there. Everything in me, bless his holy name. I will bless the Lord. That that word is kabat. It's the same word in the 103rd Psalm as we're seeing here in the the 16th Psalm. I will. There's intention. I will. I have purposed to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Sometimes you got to speak to your soul and say, soul, bless the Lord. It's a dark day, but soul, you're going to bless the Lord today. Things aren't going well, but soul, rise up. And bless the Lord. Everybody is opposing me, but soul, arise within me and bless the Lord. The economy is collapsing, but soul, arise in me and bless the Lord. My candidate didn't win the race, but oh, soul, arise and bless the Lord. It's not based on circumstances. It is a position that has set, that has set Jesus before you. And you've made a determination, I will bless the Lord. And that's why he says, I will not be moved. Jesus set before him a determination, a mindset that is purposed to bless the Lord. I won't be moved. My soul will rejoice. I will have hope, right? 
That, that's the, the context of this. And this is where he, from this place is where he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Let's look at, I, I want to look at verse 5 again. Verse 5, he says, O Lord, you, and this is, this is in uh, New King James Version, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The Lord is my chosen, and this is ESV, the way it says it in the ESV, the Lord is my chosen portion. And, and when you look at the word, that's actually a very accurate interpretation. The Lord is my chosen interpretation. Right? It's like the Lord's leading you. Let's say the Lord leads you to the United States and he says, pick some land. I pick Texas. Anybody want to say amen to that? Like, you, you pick it, you own it. That, that's my portion. That, that's my inheritance. That's my chosen portion. That, that's what the psalmist is saying here. The Lord is my chosen portion. I could have riches. I could have fame. I, I could have success. I could have all that this world, everything's put before me. I choose Jesus. The Lord is my portion. Right? That, that's what he's saying here. The Lord is my cup, and you hold my lot. You maintain my lot. See, this, this psalm is, is speaking something to us that when God directs our path, when he is our portion, when we have set him before our face, when we have chosen him, we will be a people full of joy. You choose the things of this world, you're going to be disgruntled. You're going to be discontented. You're going to be dissatisfied. The reality is this. I think we can see this wrapped up in, in these passages that we've covered so far. There is no joy. There is no real true joy apart from knowing God. Apart from relationship with this, this beautiful God that we sang about earlier, there's no joy apart from him. See, we're, we're worried about where we're going. Have you ever been worried about where you're going? I have. I, I remember, so in, in 20, February, the first week of February uh, 2015, I resigned a church that I had been pastoring. It was, it was an awful situation. It was a, a, a board member. We had merged with another church. There was a 70-year-old board member that we had that when, when we'd merged with that church, their pastor had died, and this 70-year-old board member wanted to be his replacement, but the church came to us. We went through a process, ended up merging with them, and I became the pastor of that church. Well, that 70-year-old man caused problems for the year that we were together with that merged church. Conflict. We did a building program. We remodeled our sanctuary. And I was, I was working. I was leading that as a, a contractor. I was leading that with volunteers and a, a couple contractors. And in, in the midst of that, as I was busy trying to do that, this man was working behind the scenes. It ended up, we finished the remodel around Christmas, moved in mid-December into that building, and this man had just divided and caused all kinds of conflict in our church. I was getting physically sick. It was, it was affecting me in many, many ways. Worked with covering, et cetera, et cetera, and by January, the end of January, through, through covering, through my pastoral covering, 
we decided the best move at that point, it was, it was so contentious, the best thing for me to do would be to step aside. It was, it was affecting me physically. One, one brother said to me this way, he said, he said don't, he said, you, 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 you'll have another chance to, to, be, to minister, to serve a congregation, but you've only got one marriage and one family. Counsel from this, this ministry, and this is what changed my mind, because I was the man that was going to fight for the church and fight for the ministry God called me, and, and that, that's noble, and that's good, and there's times for that, but this, this minister said, hey, no, this is not the time for that. Don't, don't lose your family. So we made a decision. We resigned beginning of February 2015, and we had no idea where we were going to go. We ended up that year traveling on the road, and uh, I, I remember a pastor in that, that season telling me, uh, to go sit at a coffee shop with a yellow legal pad and write down the lessons that I was learning. And I would sit in the coffee shop and look at a blank yellow pad and not know what to, to write for hours. Like, what am I supposed to learn from this? And I remember in that year, we were always trying to figure out where we were going. What's next? Like, I've got, I got family, I've got mouths to feed. What, what's next? And God, we didn't intend to do it, but God began to open doors immediately. And from February of 2015 on into January of 2016, we traveled. Uh, we went through 27 different states that year, and we, we, we ministered. The Lord opened doors for, into churches, and we got to go into these churches and minister. And we, we spent the, the entire year with my family in a van. We started in a van and upgraded to a, a Yukon. And we were on and, and, and beautiful times, beautiful times. I remember I, I was telling somebody this week, actually, the story. We were up, uh, up at the Great Lakes, and we were getting ready to travel to, uh, to uh, we were, we were going to, as a family, go down. We were heading to Colorado, and we were going to go down and stop at Mount Rushmore. So we went into a bookstore. We bought a kid's book about Mount Rushmore. We had another book about, uh, we were homeschooling our kids, right? So we have another book about the Great Lakes. And I, I remember we're, we're driving towards South Dakota, and we've got these, these books, and we're, we're working through them with our kids, Rachel and I, and we're teaching them about the Great Lakes. We're teaching them about Mount Rushmore. And there, there are four figures on Mount Rushmore, right? And I've got four kids. So we, we, to help them remember the names of these presidents on the, on the mountain, we gave each one of them a name, right? One was George Washington. Uh, one was Jefferson. Is it Roosevelt, right? Is it Roosevelt? And not the, yeah, Roosevelt. So one of them was Roosevelt, and the third one was Abraham, or fourth one was Abraham Lincoln, and that was Bethan. And she's three years old at this point. So they would go through George Washington, every kid, George Washington, Abraham, or uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson, Roosevelt. They, they would shout out the names, and then when it came, came to Bethan, she would shout out, Abraham Bacon. So we're on, we're on this year-long road trip. I mean, from Florida to Colorado, Minnesota, 27 states. Where are we going? What's next? Okay, this weekend's over. What's next? Okay, we got a month of itinerary set up. What's going to be after that month? What's next? That, that, that was the question today. What's next? That, that's an anxious question. Right? I mean, how many of you know that? What's next? Where, where am I going? God, like, I got to pay bills. What are, what are you going to do? What, what's next? Anybody ever been there? So we get to Duluth. We're up in Duluth and, and traveling. We drove from Texas to Duluth. That's a long drive. South Texas to North Minnesota. And on the drive, I get a phone call from a pastor in South Dakota 
who we're going to be with the following weekend after Duluth, Minnesota. Chad, is, Pastor so-and-so, I'm sorry, but some things have come up. We're, we're not going to be able to host you that weekend. It just, it's not working out. Some things happened. and So we're going we're to have to put it off to another date. Okay? So I've got three men, David Cook and a, a couple of other guys, that are connecting us. They're helping us to build these itineraries and travel these churches. So I, I make a couple phone calls. Hey, I've got an open weekend. If you know of anything, let us know. We get to Duluth. We don't have anything set up. We go to dinner after the Sunday morning services. It was Pastor, Pastor John, John Sochet. Some of y'all know him from summer camp. Those of you who were at summer camp. He brought his grandson down from Duluth to camp. And we're with Pastor Sochet, and we, we minister. We go to lunch, and he's like, where are you guys heading next? And I said, well, we were supposed to be in Duluth, or in a, uh, South Dakota next week, but it canceled. So I, I really don't know what we're going to do. He goes, okay. So we went back to our hotel room. Monday morning, we're packing our bags. Pastor Sochet calls us. You figured out where you're going yet? I was like, no. So we're packing up to put stuff in our car and have no idea where we're going. We're in Duluth, Minnesota. We live in San Antonio, Texas. We have no idea where we're going. He's okay. Well, why don't we meet for brunch? Okay, cool. So we go to brunch on Monday. He says, I've got a place for you to stay. So he takes us, puts us up, the family there in the church. Tuesday morning, he calls anything. No, well, let's go get some brunch. So, and we ended up staying, well, yeah, we ended up staying there that Wednesday ministering, and then he opens up the next Sunday, so we minister there again the next Sunday. So we end up staying there this whole week. But this, this Tuesday, as we're, we're eating lunch or brunch, he says, you know what, this is a beautiful day. I mean, so we're, we're in Duluth, Minnesota, and it's like 75. That is like a heat wave in Duluth, Minnesota in, in the summer. This is early August. This is heat wave weather. It's 75 degrees. There is no wind. He said, I, I drove by the lake. This is Lake Superior. He says, I drove by the lake, and it, it is like glass. It is just smooth. He said, I'm gonna, if, if it's still that way after lunch, I'm going to go get my boat, and we're going to go out on a boat ride. So we, we put the boat in the water. We all get in, and we're cruising. I mean, I think we went up like 30 miles of coast, and I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface. This is Lake Superior. This is a mammoth lake. I remember we pulled that little ski boat up next to a 1,000-foot cargo tanker sitting out there on the water. It was an absolutely incredible, incredible experience. And I remember we're, we're going down the lake. We're flying. Yeah, Pastor Soche is driving the boat. We're, he's, he's got a full throttle. I'm sitting in the, he's in the captain chair. I'm next to him. The kids are all over the boat. He's got his grandkids and his daughter with him. And Rachel's sitting at the back of the boat. Our kids are kind of bouncing around. And I remember I spin my chair around to the back of the boat. And I'm looking at my beautiful wife. The wind's blowing through her hair. She's got her arms spread out across the back of that boat, sitting in the middle of her. I think she had two of our kids on each side of her, one on each side. And she's got this giant smile on her face. And she is just laughing with this uncontrolled laughter. It was beautiful. So I, 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 we, we finish our boat trip. We get back to the car, and we're driving down the road, heading to the house where we're staying. I said, you know, I, I explained, hey, I saw you. What, what was going on there? And she said, the Lord spoke to me. 
Lord spoke to me. Like, what did he say? He said, you guys are so worried about where you're going. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. And I can't even begin to explain to you how powerful. That doesn't sound so profound, but to us in that moment, it was a profound revelation. We don't have to worry. Some of us are so worried about our destination, about where are we going? How is this going to work out? Where is God, where is God leading us? What, what's God up to? Where is he taking us? We want, we want to know. You know where we really need to be focused, what we really need to be worried about? Not where we're going. We need to be worried about what we've got. We need to set our focus on what we have. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Jesus did not promise that our journey was going to be easy. In fact, there are promise after promise in the scriptures that this is going to be very difficult. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be setbacks. All these things are promised. We're promised persecution as followers of Christ. He never promised our journey would be easy. The great promise we have is that he is with us. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Christmas is awesome. The Christ child, the incarnation, God coming through the matrix of a woman in this manger, living as a human being for 33 years, the incarnation is absolutely wonderful and miraculous, and I thank God for that. You know why I thank God for the incarnation? Because I have a high priest who is touched with the filling of my infirmities. He knows everything of this human condition. Persecution. He knows persecution like none of us have ever experienced. Disappointments, frustrations, pains. I wonder if Jesus had flu A. Probably didn't have COVID since it was made in the lab recently. But what sicknesses did Jesus experience? What, what did Jesus go through? What did he experience in this human life? So I, I thank God for the incarnation. Because I have a high priest, the Bible says, who is touched with the, the filling of our infirmities. And it says because of that, he's able to come to us in our time of need, in our time of trouble. When things aren't going well, he's able to come to us and comfort us, to minister to us, to give us aid. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. So I thank God for the incarnation. But that, that's just part of the story. He went from the cradle to the cross, and he hung on that cross and died for our sins. I thank God, because if he hadn't died, I'd be open to judgment. The Bible says that some, some, some men's sins are, are, are open, they go before them, are, are, are go before them, and others' men's sins follow. I'm, I'm mixing two different translations. Some men's, go, men's sins go before them, and others follow after them. My sins went before me. They went with Christ. Everybody who is outside of Christ, we need to understand this. You're going to stand before God on Judgment Day with 
no advocate, no help. Those of us who are in Christ, our sins were put upon him, placed upon him. He died in our place. Like what Dr. Brassfield said a couple years or a year back here, he said Jesus didn't just die for us, he died as us. And there's a reality. Jesus died for us, as us, on the cross, so that we would not have to have the penalty of our sin. That's another dimension of the story. It keeps getting better. They put him in a grave, and he didn't stay there. He rose up. And I thank God for that. You know what that means to us? It means that we can live victorious. It means that we are overcomers. It means that the power of sin does not have power over us because we live newness of life. We live life to the Spirit of God. And it keeps getting better. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then you know what happens? He poured his spirit out. Jesus poured his spirit out. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. We always think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There, there is so much more to that than that to the gospel. The outpouring of God's spirit. As we said in the beginning of this message, joy comes from the presence of God. You think of this. Those of us who are born again and full of the Spirit of God have an indwelling joy. Where, where does joy really come from? It, it comes from the Spirit of God. It can't come from any other place. That, that's why in Galatians it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Etc., etc., etc. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's Jesus living in us that gives us joy. And there is no other way to experience it. Another place he would say that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? Joy comes to us by the power of God's Spirit. This is what Jesus talks about in, in John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, I abide, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, in you, you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me. Say abide in me. Come on, say abide in me. Abide in me. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the, my Father's commandments and abide, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Do you see that? That your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It is the abiding spirit of Jesus the infilling of the Holy Ghost that we as believers have an experience that brings joy. That and nothing else. And I, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're a believer, but you have never been baptized in the Spirit of God. Let me tell you, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? That's what happened to me. I, I talked earlier in the service about that, 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 that service where I walked down to the altar as a 22-year-old man. I was battling alcoholism, and I walked down to that altar, and Jesus got a hold of me. You know what happened? I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
And most of you that have been here for a while know my favorite definition of baptism, pickled. I got pickled in Jesus. The Spirit of God came and saturated me and permeated every ounce of my being. And it was joy unspeakable and full of glory. I was drunk in the Holy Ghost. I got drunk in the Holy Ghost, and I have not been drunk on wine, alcohol, beer, Scheinerbach, or Jack Daniels since that day. Amen? Right? So I don't know where, I've heard it over and over again, some drug addict, I think, was the first person that I ever heard, a drug addict that had been delivered, said, there ain't no high like the most high. Right? See, there's joy in getting drunk. There's pleasure in sin. But how many of you know there's a hangover the next morning? Right? It's temporal. It doesn't last. But the joy of God lasts. He says, I've spoken these things to you that your, my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. That your joy would be full. That's it. NIV says it this way, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have told you these, New Living Translation, I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, that your joy will overflow. We get into the presence of God. We set our focus upon him. Like, like the psalmist said, we set him before our face and joy comes. Right? Just like being with my wife. When I'm with my wife, joy. Right? Being with your favorite person, joy comes. It, it's the byproduct of being with Jesus. I've got a story here in my notes and I think I've lost it. It's a good story. I forgot to put it in my notes, but you know what? I got it on my phone. It, it, I got to give you this one. This one is so good. It's about this is a story about a nurse. I got. I want. I want to get it because I want to get the exact quote. I don't know how it didn't get in my notes. Here it is. The nurse came to check on the patient, filled out the charts, left the charts and the notes there for the doctor. The next uh, uh, shift, the doctor comes in, he finds the report from the nurse, and this is what it says about her patient. Mr. So-and-so is inappropriately joyful. <laughs> this man is dying with cancer. And, he, and, and I'll just share this. So my father-in-law di was diagnosed with terminal cancer a few months back. Every time I see him, he is bouncing. He is full of joy. How do you feel? I'm, I'm great. Any pain? Nope, not an ounce. He's full of the joy of the Lord. I, I've never seen him this happy. He's a pretty happy dude. Inappropriately joyful. You're dying of cancer. You're supposed to, you know, frown. Not look so happy. What is wrong with you? What an awesome testimony. Wouldn't it just be awesome if we were known for being inappropriately joyful? 
I can't stand to be around that person. He makes me laugh and feel good about myself all, every time I get around him. Like he changes the environment. Talk about a culture of joy. There, there's a, a basketball coach. His name is Scott Drew. He's the coach of the, the Baylor Bears. He's a Christian man, and he is discipling his basketball team. By the way, they were the 2021 national champions. They won the championship, the national championship, the Baylor Bears. And it, it's under the direction of, of Coach Scott Drew. And he has, they, they interviewed his players. I watched this segment on him. They were interviewing his players. What, like, what's the key to the success? And they said this, Coach Drew has built a culture of joy. It's fun to come to practice. We enjoy being with each other. We are a family. We enjoy one another's company. We enjoy working hard. We enjoy losing games. We, we've learned to have joy in everything that we do, and it's made all of the difference. In fact, he, he built an acronym, J-O-Y. Jesus first, others yourself. Jesus, others yourself. Joy. Listen, if you'll live with that, Jesus, others yourself, as your model, if you set Jesus before you, if he's the center of your affection, if he's your determination, if he is your portion, if he is the one who fills your cup, you will live with joy. Amen? God wants to restore the joy of our salvation. Do you remember how the ecstasy of freedom? Do you remember when those chains fell off you? Do you remember the day that Jesus liberated your soul? Do you remember the day that you were translated from darkness to light? Do you remember the day that you realized your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you remember the day when you recognized the sheer beauty and glory of Jesus Christ and you were enraptured with it? It was the only thing that you could think of. It consumed you, consumed you and there was satisfaction and joy. Do you remember that? What happened to that joy? What happened to that joy? Why do we lose our joy? The answer is simple. Sin. Sin. There's an age-old debate, and I'm already preaching long, so I don't want to get into the long conversation about it. Can we lose our salvation or not? Listen, as a believer... It, I'll just simplify it to this. We, when, when you sin, how, how many of you have had that battle? Like, whoops, I cussed and I shouldn't have. Lord, save me again. How many of you had that mentality? Like, I did this, now I need to get saved again. I did this. I, that, that's not salvation. He saves us to the uttermost. When we're really saved, sin doesn't cause us to lose our salvation, but it does cause us to lose our joy when we're truly saved. When we're truly saved. When we sin, when we are truly saved, it will cause us to lose our joy. The 51st Psalm, I'm going to wrap up with this. The 51st Psalm, it's a unique psalm in that it starts with this description. The psalm that David wrote when Nathan came to him when he had gone in unto Bathsheba. And the 51st Psalm is, is a plea for the mercy of God. It's a request for God to cleanse him of sin, to renew him, to restore him, to blot out his iniquities. And in this plea, in the 12th verse, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And, and here it is, sustain me. With a here it is again. We saw it in First Corinthians chapter eight or Second Corinthians chapter eight, right? That willing spirit, that generous spirit, sustain within me a willing 
spirit. The hardness of sin. When we choose to sin as followers of Christ, we get off course. We lose our focus. Sin separates. Sin separates. How many of you have ever wronged someone and you didn't want to go around them? See, that, that, that's the picture right there. Sin separates us. It doesn't cause God to turn his back on us. We read a passage earlier that says, even if I'm in Shoal, you are there with me. David says, even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Even when I'm not living right, you're still there. That, that's the beauty of the gospel. God in no way turns his back on us. When we sin, it is us who turn our backs on him. He's there. He's wooing us. He's calling us. He's drawing us back to himself. He's there for us. He went after Adam. After Adam sinned, he, the, the, the one mistake Adam made was he ran from God. He turned from God instead of turning to God when he sinned. It's a beautiful thing about David and when, when Nathan approaches him. Listen, Nathan, uh, David was the king. He could have killed Nathan the prophet. Who do you think you are to talk to the king that way? But he had a heart for God that when a man of God came with a word of correction, he repented. He repented. Many of us need to repent. If you've lost the joy of your salvation, it's a sign that you need to repent. When, when we get into trouble, you know what it does? It reveals our heart. When we come to tough times, it reveals our heart. It reveals what's in us. If you can do what James says, count it all joy when you fall into trouble. You're living right. If you're wronged and you're overwhelmed with anger, and bitterness begins to set in, and you have a hard time forgiving people, it's a sign, hey, something in my life is out of sync. It's time for me to realign. It's time to reset a focus. It's time for me, hey, Jesus is my portion. For, it, for too long it's been this. This has been my portion. Work's been my portion. Family's been my portion. My, my hobby's been my portion. My sin has been my, my lifestyle has been my portion. All these other things we, we set. And that sin can be as simple as that. I, I believe prior, prioritizing my family over Jesus is sin. Prioritizing my job, my, my office, my calling, or whatever you want to call it, as a pastor over Jesus is sin. Right? Sin's not always punching somebody in the face, cussing somebody out, stealing, uh, you know, greed. Sometimes it's just setting our sin, great definition, missed the mark. What's the mark? The high price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the mark. Sin is missing that. Hobbies can cause me to miss that. I can, I can have hobbies and, and, and be in hot pursuit of Jesus. I can have a job and be in hot pursuit of Jesus. I can be with my family, minister to my family, and be in hot pursuit of Jesus. But I can also get my focus off. And it is sinful. 
letting anything in life take priority over Christ is sin. Romans, the writer said this way, anything that is not of faith is sin. Think about that. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Let's, let's stand together. It's Sunday morning. I'm not going to rush. It's already 1243. I believe the Lord wants to restore some things in us. Some of us need to reset our focus. Some of us need to say, Lord, I have been on my own journey, my own path, doing it my own way. I'm going to do what that psalmist said and say, you, Lord, set my path. I've made my portion, this, that, and the other. Lord, you are my portion. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. Your word says you are not willing that any of us would perish. Your, your desire is that we would know you. You say in your word, it's not my will that any should perish but that all would have the knowledge of everlasting, eternal life. Lord, you are a God who is patient. You're long-suffering. You put up with a lot from us because of your great love for us. Lord, I'm thankful that you receive us. When we turn to you, you receive us. No matter how long we've been away, no matter how bad what we think we have done is, you receive us. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and you received him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would stir in us Stir in every one of us a holy discontent. That we would be discontent with everything in this world. We would be discontent with attitudes and half-heartedness. And that we wouldn't settle for anything less than what do you have for us. That we would live with joy because you are at the center. We'd live with a hope that comes from you. We live with a peace knowing, Lord, that we are not at odds with you, Lord God. But because of what Jesus has done, there is peace. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, draw us. Draw us, every one of us, 
withdraw us. In Jesus' name. I'll tell the story of Ma and Paul again. Ma and Paul were driving down the road in Paul's old pickup truck. Paul's in the driver's seat. Ma's over by the passenger window. And Ma says to Paul, Paul, how come we don't sit as close as we used to? And Paul said, Ma, I'm still sitting where I've always sat. Why is there distance between you and the Lord? The promise, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's there. The impetus is upon us. We have to draw close to him. I want to open this altar up to everyone who wants to come and draw near to the Lord. We might spend three hours here today. I don't know. But some of you have lost, and you know it. You've lost the joy of your salvation. Things are tough. There's so much trouble in this life. You don't, you don't need to live without joy. You need the joy of God as an anchor for your soul. So the altar is open. You can come. Come and draw near to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.